Hello and welcome to another episode of the Travel Weekly Podcast. I'm Amy Keeley and as part of our 50th anniversary celebrations this year, we take a step back in time and talk to former editor Jeremy Skidmore, who was at the helm in the late 90s when major changes were afoot in the travel industry. He shares some of the big stories that were making headlines back then and reminisces about the old newsroom days. But first, we take another look at Thomas Cook. The travel giant has barely been out of the headlines, sadly for all the wrong reasons, since it reported half-year losses of almost £1.5 billion. Our very own Ian Taylor, who's executive editor here at Travel Weekly, talks to me about what's gone wrong and what a future Thomas Cook could look like. So, Thomas Cook, they reported half-year losses of almost £1.5 billion. And since then, there's been this knock-on effect. We've had Citigroup declaring Cook shares to be almost worthless, a payment processor holding on to millions of pounds of customer cash, and most recently, its credit rating was downgraded, which basically means they doubt the group's ability to pay its debt if the sale of the airline doesn't go ahead. So, Ian, how bad is it for Cook? Well, it's about as bad as it it can be. Uh, It's certainly as bad as Thomas Cook's last near-death experience in 2011 and 12, when they issued three profit warnings and went through a a very painful 18 months of restructuring and changing the narrative they gave to investors and analysts. In a way, it's worse now, though. Um, you know, there's this famous line about history repeating itself first as tragedy as, and then as fast, farce and repeating this kind of uh, these issues it could push the company under. Yes. Okay. And and in terms of um, the credit rating in particular, how significant is that? I don't think that's usually significant because, other than in one way. It's not significant in the sense that Cook has sorted out its credit for the next months and into the winter. Uh, It has this facility conditional on it progressing with the sale of its airline, not completing it, but progressing uh, with it. Uh, And it has the support of uh, its banks currently. So the banks know the situation uh, with Cook's uh, borrowing and its credit rating being downgraded would only affect its future borrowing. The, the, what's bad about it is it could have a further impact on consumers. Every time Thomas Cook's name appears in the, the media in a negative context, it could hit uh, bookings. And if the bookings don't come in, then Cook will struggle to survive. Just going back to the airline, which you mentioned, is up for sale. Do you think the price that they will end up getting for it, if it's sold, is going to be significantly lower now than what they probably anticipated? It's very difficult to see Cook getting the top end of the price it would have wanted. There was talk at one point of it getting $1 billion to $1.2 billion for the for the group airline. I struggle to see that when it's a distressed sale. Mm. Um, it could fetch 650 million, reportedly. Uh, Cook needs to raise 850 million with it. That seems to be the the assessment. I have no idea whether it can get to that. It is the the airline is profitable. 
Lufthansa will certainly be interested in the German airline, Condor, which it has run before. Cook has uh, valuable slots at, at Frankfurt, which is a, a slot constrained. It has valuable slots at Gatwick, which is uh, constrained, um, and at, uh, at the peak times, and lots of slots at Manchester. And I could imagine Virgin Atlantic being interested in the UK business. Um, Lufthansa has expressed an interest in buying all the airlines. I can't really see that. Okay. Also um, mentioned, I think, last week was this unsolicited bid from Triton Partners, um, who might be after Cook's Nordic business. Cook said it's reviewing this offer. Do you think they'd sell, sell it for the right price? I think they'd sell anything for the right price at the, uh, <laughs> at the at moment. The moment. Yeah. They, they may have no choice. Um, you know, shareholders may say they just want to realise some value in the Cook estate. My guess is Cook would, would prefer not to sell the Nordic uh, business uh, with the airline and the tour operators and so on, partly because... Do you the, mean altogether? Altogether. Yeah. Partly because the Nordic business uh, points the way to the future for, for Cook. You know, if if more than 30% of its business is online in the UK... 90% plus almost wholly the business is online in in the Nordics where Thomas Cook is the the market leader um in Germany Cook's business is just a, t- a small pr- proportion uh, uh online so it would be selling the most digital bit of its business if it sold the Nordic to and operations it's most asset like and as well, well, it still no has the airline. Yeah, 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 but no shops really. Yeah, but an airline is an expensive of business to, to to run unless it's making a profit. With the Nordic business, did, did they once have a big shop network across those countries, and they've just closed them as they, they are doing here? Yeah, they've had they've had more shops in in the past in in the Nordics, but you know, somewhere like Finland and Sweden, there are large areas where the populations are, are, are small, sparse, so yeah. it's sparse. Mm. So selling online was always an easier, uh, more obvious option. Now that links to this article that was in the Telegraph this week saying Cook's um, going to overhaul its business and become an online holiday marketplace. Um, they've made no secret of the fact they want to grow digital sales and they have grown um, and if they don't have an airline then they would have to sell third-party flights on its website so in many respects it's not really a surprise or, or is it? No it's I don't see it as a surprise it's it's pretty much what Cook has been saying for the past uh, several years uh, the, the the line they were giving under Harriet Green was uh, developing a digital, increasingly digital, eventually almost wholly digital or certainly omni-channel uh, uh, business. They sell third-party flights now and they will for sure be selling third-party flights when they don't own, own the airline anymore. So no, if Cook wasn't uh, telling its major shareholders something like this now they'd be even more seriously wrong than than we know about um so this just fits uh, what we know all right so what do you think cook's gonna look like in a year's time how different a business could it be if it gets through september october if it's sold got a sale of its airline uh in process uh to one or multiple uh, uh, acquirers, then it will secure its credit and and 
should be able to go through the, the winter. It will have to emerge uh, a much smaller business with, uh, unfortunately, cons a, a considerably smaller presence on the high street, you would, you would think, uh, and more of its own hotels, mm -hmm. which it can sell as differentiated mm. product. It's essentially trying to go down the TUI, the TUI route, route yeah. but it is a very long way behind. What, what, this is a big question, but what's gone wrong for them? What, why? They're, they're, to me, it feels like they're squeezed in the middle. You've got TUI who, who, who are above them, who have gone through that route that you just mentioned and, and have made a success of it. And then they've got Jet2, a very different model, with no distribution of its own, but storming away. It's the second largest atoll holder. And yeah, Cook just sat there in the, in the middle. Why, what's gone wrong? What, I mean, there's lots of reasons, I'm sure, but what, what are they? Well, times have changed. The internet has transformed uh, holiday bookings and businesses for vast, uh, a vast proportion of, of the market. But if you were to reduce, to reduce it to its essentials, Thomas Cook uh, historically had all kinds of problems. It was a weak uh, number two or number three, in the, no, probably number three in the, in the market in the 2000s. Uh, it merged with uh, My Travel, the former Air Tours, which really was a busted flush from 2003 when it would have gone bust after a series of accounting black holes were e exposed. So the Thomas Cook Group was a merger of the two weakest of the big travel businesses in, in the UK. And then under a former chief, chief executive, Thomas Cook pursued a, a, a strategy of acquiring businesses and bolting them on, borrowing money to, to, to do so, leading up to and after the financial crash of 2008. So it had utterly the wrong strategy. Whereas TUI merged with First, uh, first Choice, the two stronger uh, of the uh, big companies. First Choice didn't have hundreds and hundreds of shops, so they started from a huge position of advantage compared to Thomas, Thomas Cook. And Thomas Cook has been struggling with the consequences of its historically weak position and a merger with a weak company ever since. Now you mentioned my travel in there, and I was going to ask you about that because the headline half-year losses, um, which have been very well publicised, um, but they're 1.5 billion, almost 1.5 billion. 1.1 billion of that was due to this write-down of my travel bought back in 2007. Why have they done that now? Why has it been sat on their books for this long? God only knows. Uh, I cannot imagine my travel goodwill was worth 1.1 billion at the time they did the deal in 2007 that seems ex extraordinary uh, that it's remained on the books all this t time I mean you know it's the sort of thing I can miss looking at a company's annual re report but chief financial officers and chief ex shouldn't and they should be pointing it out to chief executives so I assume it was left there because uh, it uh, bolstered Thomas Cook's ability to uh, borrow money um, and that when a new chief financial officer came in 
uh, at the end of last year, he took one look at it and said, oh my God, this has got to come off. And the response, I assume, was, well, if we take it off now in our, when we issue our results uh, in the end of November, early December, uh, the business will go under. And so they've postponed it until this moment. But th- this should have been... the worst time to do it, isn't it? Uh, well, it's probably probably last uh, December would have been worse. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah it, it it beggars belief that it could have remained on mm. the books this long. Mm. Okay. And it, it, they've shot themselves in the foot. Widening out a bit, obviously Tom Swift aren't the only company reporting losses. We had Ryanair, EasyJet, Tui. What, what's what's going on? Why is it worse than normal? Well, it's definitely worse than last year or the year before. But bear in mind that last year was a record for outbound uh, travel. Back above the level, before the financial crash, the recession, the years of austerity and all the rest of it, record numbers, 47 million people took a holiday overseas from Britain Uh, last year so we're coming off a record year and uh, Brexit is clearly uh, a factor there's a hesitation about booking perfectly understandable hesitation in the airlines in Europe there's also enormous overcapacity so fares are at historic lows and airlines are losing money hand over fist. EasyJet, for example, which will be profitable over the 12 months, lost almost £6 on every seat it sold in the six months to the end of March. It's extraordinary when you think about it. So, you know, Ryanair and EasyJet make big profits, but they are operating at huge losses for six months of the, mm. the, the year. And that, and that makes the market very difficult for others in the leisure travel business. Well, how do you think this year's going to end? Do you think it's going to overall for, for the travel industry? I think it will end not as far down on last year as people may fear. A couple of percentage points maybe overall for booking numbers, but the price at which holidays are sold will be the the key question and it's going to hurt people the Theresa May's resignation uh, at the end of last week what a relief to almost everybody Uh, but now we face the the you know Tory leadership election and every one of the candidates will talk up no deal Brexit because they have to appeal the two that end up on the the final ballot that goes to the Tory party members has to appeal to those who would support no Brexit, which 75 to 80% of Tory party members do. So, and that will inevitably, uh, I think, affect the value of the pound and therefore the exchange rate and people will worry, can they afford to be on holiday once they go abroad? Those who come back will come back with tales of how expensive, how poor the exchange rate was, and, and so on. In practice, I think it might be quite different. I'm not, I'm not convinced that Boris Johnson, who's the, 
the favourite uh, to win the leadership election is ideologically committed to Brexit, let alone no deal Brexit uh, uh, at all. I think things might look very different when it comes to near to October the 31st. But for now, the prospect is of no deal Brexit, no deal Brexit, morning, noon and night. And I can only see the exchange rate going uh, one way for the time being. All right. Thanks very much, Ian. Right, Jeremy, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. You joined Travel News, as it was called then, in 1989, and you were editor of uh, the magazine from 1997 to 2001. It was a very eventful time for the travel industry. How do you remember it? Wow. I mean, I remember it as the most fantastic time of my working life, really. (laughs) Being editor of a trade newspaper, as we used to call it then, um, is, is a fantastic job. And when I sort of took over as editor... I thought um, the paper was a little bit dull, could be made more exciting. I wanted to take more of a tabloid approach, um, try to shock and amaze on every page. And uh, it didn't always succeed, but that, that was the plan. And to get stories that resonated with our readers, you, you've got to remember it was a very different world then. It was very black and white in terms of there were agents and operators and we uh, felt that we were on the side of agents and we wanted to get stories that just interested them and highlighted anything that was going on that perhaps they weren't, weren't happy with. And uh, we felt that this would, this would um, work well with readers and, and increase readership, which it did for a while. So there we Have go. You, did you come from a tabloid background then? I didn't. Uh, well, actually, um, many, many years before, I had worked on Sunday Sport. Um, but I'd had a few jobs uh, since Sunday Sport um, and then before going on to Travel Weekly. But, yeah, there was a period when I was on the sports desk of Sunday Sport. All right. It was a really pivotal time for travel. There was the emergence of the no-frills, low-cost carriers, the dot-com boom, and big businesses um, snapping up smaller travel businesses left, right and centre. Mm. So is that, is that about right? There's it is about right. On. And that's the, uh, the last point you made about the big businesses snapping up um, little businesses. It was great fun for us. I mean, it was a period when uh, Thompson, as was, and uh, Air Tools were the two big beasts. And they just wanted to buy company after company. Um, it was a, bit, uh, a few egos at place uh, there. And... Um, we specialise in trying to get that information first, get the stories first, um, and would uh, go to any lengths that we could to try and get them. And, Not phone uh, hacking. No, we didn't actually phone <laughs> hack. But, you know, you get many stories um, late at night, on weekends. Uh, I mean, as, uh, as I'm sure reporters do now. And, and it was a fantastic time. It was a very, very full-on time in terms of... Um, working and, and, and out at events all the time and abroad all the time. And, and I know, you know, it's probably pretty similar for you guys uh, now, but working on a, a trade newspaper is, is fantastic. But the, the way I did it, and I'm sure the way, you know, you guys do it as well, is all-consuming, really. Um, so Especially when you're editor, though, yeah. in that position, I think yeah. it is. Yeah. It is, it is. You've got to... I mean, I, I was 
promoting the, the, the paper as I saw it. I wanted to be at events. I wanted to be hosting things. I wanted to go on TV programs. I wanted to go abroad to every event. And, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be right for me uh, now, but it, at that time, it was fantastic fun and, and very, very exciting. What were the, the big issues for agents? The biggest thing that they would, were unhappy about was tour operators selling direct, which you might think now, well, of course, everybody sells, uh, has to sell direct as well. But it was such a massive thing in those days. And we would always highlight stories about um, a, operators who were offering um, cheap affairs to people who book direct, not on the internet necessarily in those days, but by, by phone with the company. And, and we would embarrass operators over that and um, really fight the agent's corner, which was, was, worked well, produced many interesting stories for us. But uh, again, that's, that started to grate with, with big companies who were our advertisers at the time. What was the newsroom like? What was the, the culture and the atmosphere? Um, probably pretty different from newsrooms now. It, was, it would be very loud and noisy. I mean, I, I would berate reporters to get stories, be on the phone, chase, chase, chase. Um, it's like Lucy then. No, yeah, Lucy. Oh, fair, fair enough. I think now, no, though, of course, like now, of course, you can, you can do a lot of research online. You can get a lot of information without having to pick up the phone. But in those days, that wasn't the case. And I wanted it noisy. I wanted people chasing. I wanted people competing with each other. I mean, we'd offer little financial incentives for people to mm. get the best stories and the best leads and um, so it was and also at events it was constantly that as well you know I don't care if you're out until whatever time I don't care what you're doing have as much fun as you want but A don't embarrass yourself when you're working for Travel Weekly I do not want to see you lying on the floor drunk and don't, and make sure you get a story. If you can tick those two boxes, I don't care if you don't get to bed until five in the morning or whatever, you know, but make sure that you're spot on and ahead of the competition. What was your biggest scoop during your, your editing? Well, I mean, I'm not going to pretend, you know, we, we had uh, Watergate scandal or MPs' expenses. I mean, it wasn't really that, but it was just a culmination of lots of these stories about... Um, tour operators going direct or perhaps not paying salaries that they should be paid. Um, I mean, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, which ended up with uh, t- travel companies pulling their, pulling their advertising and subsequently uh, me losing my job, was, was about air tours um, selling direct. It was just another story about them, them selling direct at the expense of... of uh, travel agents, really. But, I mean, some of the stories would make you laugh now. I mean, Thomas Cook had this new brand, JMC, and there was this furore of trying to find out the name before it got launched, and we would go at any lengths to it. And I remember being taken out by their then-managing director for lunch who was really imploring me to not keep badgering staff and people and uh, Thomas Cook and trying to find out. I mean, it sounds pathetic now. All we were trying to do is find out the name. But we did might... you? Did you? Uh, I don't think we did, to be honest. No, we found out that the, 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 
JMC had a lot of project names, you know, which weren't the real names. So we'd find out those and we'd splash it on the front page. The new, the new name is whatever. Uh, and it wasn't. Or, we, you know, it was thought to be. Or this is the project name for it. Um, when you look back now, you just think, well, you know, who cares? But at the time, we did care. Oh, of course. It's all relative. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. What about the Millennium Bug? That was a big deal, wasn't it? Well. About fear computers were going to crash, we, planes were going to come out the sky. We thought it was going to be a big deal, but it turned out to be the biggest non-event in, in history. I think uh, there are a lot of clever IT people who trousered a fortune on that um, just preparing companies for about two years the Millennium Bug because when it struck midnight um, at the end of the uh, at the end of the century, planes were going to crash, traffic lights weren't going to work, everything was going to collapse, and of course, absolutely nothing happened. Well, there, there were genuine fears in the travel. There were massive then. fears, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and especially um, with planes, so that was primarily on aviation. Planes, yeah. The yeah. whole air traffic control system was going to go to pot, and nobody wanted to be flying at the end of 1999. <laughs> but of course, nothing happened. Um, so yeah, there were some clever IT people having a laugh there. Yeah, I think. I um, it was a time when independent holiday and online booking started. You mentioned it before. Yeah. Um, ongoing rows about financial protection. Not yeah. much has changed, has it? 20 years on. <laughs> yeah. Still writing stories about both those no, things. I mean, honestly, financial protection, it makes you laugh, doesn't it, really? I mean, the number of years I've been in the travel industry and I still have to sit down and work out what, you know, travel, what is protected, what isn't. And, and sometimes I, I still get it wrong. And so there's, en- there's enormous confusion still. There's enormous confusion then. Um, and uh, yeah, if you were starting with a blank piece of paper, you wouldn't you wouldn't have it as it is now. It's a, it's, a, it's a convoluted mishmash of things that has been evolved. But you know, if we don't understand it, what hope has the customer got? Um, I think people just generally think that they're protected, um, and when something goes wrong, they find out that sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. Yeah, you mentioned before we started about Bridge the World, didn't you? And yeah. And a story we did um, recently about agents just still not understanding yeah. package travel regs. Yeah, yeah, It's a bit yeah. worrying, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, exactly. We don't... Uh, you know, Bridge the World are a big company, and if they can get it wrong, um, so, can, uh, so can lots of others. So can customers, of course. Um, just, just looking back at some of the funny... Uh, the threats there that we mentioned earlier, the, the internet was a big threat you know to be to be honest with you i i didn't want when 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 we started using the internet to to put out stories i wasn't happy about it you know i didn't i wanted to save my big stories and splash them in the weekly paper there's no way i want to give away stories on on the internet each day and and of course travel agents were very wary about the internet and people selling uh direct i can remember one conference the uh um the the uh abta chairman saying that uh, agents would be better off getting a new carpet than investing in the internet. That really? Kind of, yeah, that kind of didn't age well, but, um, you know, I mean... But that to was the mentality, then. Yeah, I mean, to cut him a bit of slack, um, a lot of people felt that, you know, it's just this silly little machine thing where you could maybe look up some prices and possibly book holidays. Silly. Why would anybody want to do that? The thought of having a computer at home was... Ridiculous! You only just got around to having them at work, you know. Um, so yeah, it was it was a, it was a, 
Yeah, so some of the things you look back on, you think, yeah, okay, we didn't get that right. Well, shit, if you had to look back, it's a bit of a cliche question, mm. but but your favourite memory, if, if there is just one, but... It's, it's, it, I, I don't know if there is one, to be honest with you. It's a blur of a fantastic time that, that, that we had. The, you talked earlier about culture in offices. It was very different then. I'm not saying it's better. Some of the things, some of the banter that we had is probably, you know, it's, it's good that that's not around anymore. It is a different, a different world. I saw, yeah, when I looked through the archives with Juliet Dennis, who does our art history page, yeah. some of the adverts in there, I mean, they're so un-PC. Oh, it's yeah. hilarious. It's quite, it's not hilarious, it's, but it is, it's uh, intriguing, um, yeah. to say the least. Yeah, I mean, you're talking 20-odd years ago. Things that were acceptable then are not acceptable now. Um, but, you know, you can only exist in the climate that you're in. And it was, it, it was a blur of fabulous fun. And it was so important to me at the time. I was so focused on Travel Weekly being the best thing in the world and I think if you do that job you should be like that and I'm sure the guys here are as well I mean yeah we were saying with being editor it is all encompassing yeah. I mean when we're consuming when I left uh, Travel Week it was, it was a bit like leaving an institution it took a while to sort of get used to it but then you you do realise that it, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the bigger world out there um, you know it's not the most important thing in the world but when you are when you're doing that job the only thing that mattered, well, the most important thing was we have got to get the best stories. We've got to shock and amaze people on when we come out. We have got to be the best and be ahead of the competition. It was, it was almost like an obsession. But when you're in that role, that's, that's what it does to you, really, yeah. Do you miss it? Um, parts of it? Well, I don't... I, I wouldn't want to do the job now not that they'd have me but I, it wouldn't be right for me now because it's it is all encompassing and um I wouldn't really want that lifestyle now but um it is a brilliant brilliant job and um while you do it you've got to enjoy it nothing lasts forever um There'll be a time, if there's a time in your life for every editor when, when enough is enough. It wasn't actually my decision, actually, when I uh, left. That, that was somebody else's decision. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it's, it's not something you can do forever, I don't think. You, you probably burn yeah, out. Yeah. So I look back very, very fondly on it. And I tell people who are, if, if they ever ask, being editor of a travel paper is the best job in the world. But... It's it would it's not something that I want to do now, and they would that's good because they wouldn't have me. <laughs> oh, I don't know, <laughs> Jeremy. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you liked this podcast, remember you can rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. All reviews are greatly received because they help others find our episodes more easily. We'll be back in two weeks' time. 